Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. A very good morning to you and welcome to this week's installment of Beyond Governance here at 101.9 High FM. It has been a while since you and I touched base. As you know, April had a few public holidays as well as religious holidays, of which most of them coincided with the show. However, it is good to be back on your radio and hopefully we will catch up on some of the very critical leadership um, issues that are challenging in the country, which means uh, we definitely are back on track. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome aboard. My name is Nimrod Tembele. I'm delighted to share this space with you. Before we get into the gist of our conversation, it is customary to express one's gratitude to the members of the team uh, who assist navigating the show. On that note, uh, thank you very much, Vusi Masinga, as well as Harry uh, Sekele, for sterling work. In our conversation today, I am joined by Professor Kangelani Zuma, who is the Executive Director at the Human Science Research Council. Uh, the essence of our conversation is why African executives are shanking and missing the greens when it comes to driving the distance in their decisions. By way of, by way of the background and context, uh, we I had a privilege of attending a golf tournament that was held at the Royal Kensington and, and wherein Professor Zuma was given a keynote address by using golf discourse to explain why those Africans' leadership or those uh, leaders in corporate space aren't necessarily using the uh, position to advance black business in particular. I found that conversation profoundly intriguing in so many ways. Hence, I invited Prof to share his views with us uh, and, and and basically on how to take the mindset forward. I'm sure you find you equally find the conversation intriguing. Uh, to that end, I employ you to join our conversation on our SMS line, which is three four five one nine. Before we start my conversation with uh, the good Prof here, I want to weigh in on the South Africa's fifth investment summit, which took place uh, two weeks ago. You know, I listened to the president's uh, close remarks, uh, which I found quite fascinating. Well, firstly, he defined the conference as a watershed moment, as the initial targets for investment was about 1.2 trillion rands. However, he, they managed to raise the bar uh, with about whooping, what, 1.2 trillion? Uh, totally, the, the amount they, they able, able to raise was about 1.5 trillion, which is good to hear. They have been able to target the investments to about 21 districts and municipalities across the country. He also alluded to infrastructure development as key economic drivers, especially for ailing economies such as ours. In my mind, it would have been useful just to outline a number of jobs that this type of initiative, um, has Created or it's envisaged to create because that begins to share some light and confidence to the public on the extent to which government is taking unemployment rates uh, seriously. The other issue that I wanted to quickly reflect on is the, the you know, we've seen a number of big projects uh, which brings foreign nationals such as Chinese to work on those projects. And and in my view, and of course, most South Africans don't care with me here, that it defeats the whole drive of addressing unemployment rate. But perhaps maybe the president has got ace up his sleeve. He will share with us at some point. As I continue on this particular issue, I also did not pick up a sense from the government or from the president the extent to which these uh, investment drive are party to the macroeconomic policy. As I was mulling over this issue, just couldn't comprehend how South Africa has evolved since 1994 in terms of the macroeconomic policies. We have had gear, we have had you know, the growth employment distribution. We had Askisa, we had uh, the new growth path and the NDP. 
you know, typically when these kinds of conversations are happening, it is always useful for a leader to draw back the audience into the overall macroeconomic policy, which is the NDP. And and be that as it may, I didn't see it. Or perhaps maybe I might have missed it. Uh, if you did, you could share your thoughts with us. As you know, we gravitate into what's the 2030, which is the lifespan of the NDP. And when it was ushered back in 2013 or so, it promised that it would end uh, unemployment and eliminate poverty. And we know where inequalities are in this country. We know where poverty is in this, in this country. We're one of the most unequal societies in the world, and which means the NDP targets we have completely missed and not only missed, but regressed on a number of fronts. Uh, that's, that's my view. And that for me begins to ask a question around the policy environment, the extent to which these policies are driven by data. But anyway, those are my thoughts. But one of the things that I just wanted to reflect on is the, what I consider the fundamentals of economic growth and which I wonder if they are there. One is that particularly the context of investment drive, which the president is driving so vigorously. One, it is that can we talk of growth in the absence of the rule of law? Can we talk of growth in absence of the ease of doing business in the country? Can we talk of growth uh, in a politically charged environment? Can we talk about growth wherein we don't see or there seems to be a absence of rigorous performance management? And these are issues that needs to underpin the very investment programs which the president is talking about. I'm sure they're running parallel, but almost like you handcuffing yourself or shooting yourself on the leg and expect to run in a very competitive environment. Investments obviously are drawn by the extent to which the environment is conducive. And I really wonder, but anyway, these are not, these are my views, which I'm sure you as the listener of this beloved show have your own pertinent views um, around this particular issue. Fundamentally, when you deal with economic recovery, you need to bring in, in the public and the public will determine the extent to which you are worthy of your words, not just a, a mere peer exercise, PR exercise. Anyway, um, we have dispensed with my very uh, two cents worth of uh, observation and insights, um, blown a lot of hot air. Be that as it may, let's get to the real gist of a fascinating conversation. As I've indicated earlier, I'm joined by Professor Tangelani Zuma, who is the uh, Executive Director at the Human Science Research Council. A prof here will share with us his anecdotes on how to grow African wealth, specifically black wealth, uh, as, it does, as it is not proportionally represented uh, in the country as it were. Without any waste of time, Prof, thank you very much for coming through. We are delighted to have you on board. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mbele. It's uh, a pleasure to be here today and uh, really appreciate that uh, you invited us to join your conversation today, uh, which is quite um, exciting and uh, uh, one of uh, the, as we have uh, introduced the topic, uh, it's an, an interesting issue that we need to deliberate on. I really uh, appreciate and, and thanks for, for inviting us. Absolutely. Uh, on that note, let's have a quick break. We'll come back in a second as we, we get ourselves with interesting conversation with Prof here. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is a time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. We have just started our brilliant show, and I'm joined by Professor Kangalani Zuma, who is the Executive Director at the Human Science Research Council. Prof will share with us his anecdotes on the growth of African wealth, specifically black Africans, as the wealth is not proportionally represented in society. Um, before we start, Prof, it is, would be useful just to share with our listeners, who is Kangalani Zuma? 
Pangalan Zuma is a professionally an executive director at uh, Human Sciences Research Council, but of course speaking in my personal capacity here. But um, I'm a, a biostatistician by training, holding a PhD in biostatistics from the uh, University of Waikato in New Zealand, but uh, I grew up in KwaZulu-Natal and uh, now living in, uh, in Gauteng, uh, passionate for statistics, but also having a great interest uh, in, in legal issues, also pursuing a uh, out of interest, a career in uh, studying law at, at the moment. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for this, Prof, um, for that uh, useful insight that you've just with us. And again, I've just painted a picture that, you know, you gave a uh, keynote address at the King's Trophy tournament that was held at the Kensington Country Club, where you really talked about racial inequality, poverty, and support or lack of support for SMMEs. Take us through what was your thinking when you craft your keynote address, uh, when you're addressing a number of professionals who participated at the golf uh, event. Thank you for that, uh, uh, Dr. Mbele. One of the concerns, you know, if you if you look around, uh, the numbers show the population distribution in the country uh, showing uh, the majority of people being uh, uh, People of African descent, uh, for example, uh, followed by coloreds, uh, Indians, and whites. But if you look at uh, the levels of poverty in the country, in a way, they also follow the same pattern that the majority of people in the country are the most poor, followed by coloreds, followed by Indians, and the least by whites. Uh, with uh, at this stage about just one percent of white people living in abject poverty compared to about 64% among uh, uh, white people. Now, sorry, compared to 64% among uh, people of African descent. Now, that is really concerning uh, in a country where the majority of people are of African descent, but most of them are poor living in abject poverty. And you don't need to look far to really see what is going on? You walk around town to find young uh, people unemployed, and a number of them have uh, now resolved into taking uh, drugs as a way of uh, passing time. In a way, you go to the entrances of uh, shopping malls, you see a number of uh, young people looking for employment there. And now, looking at that, you can see that actually. You know, the economy of the country still reflects a lot of what it was uh, during uh, the years of apartheid, the years of colonialism. Then the question was, why are we not changing? Why is the situation not changing? Is it the laws that are not on our side or it is us who need to look at uh, ourselves and uh, think about how we can change the situation. And then, therefore, I put or craft my presentation, you know, because I was speaking to a golfing community, you know, craft it in a way that fits into the language that is used in golf, uh, that uh, shows that uh, by actually not investing in our own and paying, a, 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 taking a concerted effort in uh, developing our own, we are also shanking by actually doing that. We're missing a point by doing that. So we need to look, we need to introspect and ask ourselves, why is it that uh, we, for example, the executives, uh, having the responsibility of taking decisions? Why are we not taking decisions and invest on our own or invest among those that are living in abject poverty which is people of African descent that are living in abject poverty. So that is uh, the framework that I followed in uh, in crafting my 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 speech that day. Well, thank you very much for that for clarifying that point, Prof. I just want to perhaps maybe follow up. Uh, firstly, you made reference to question whether the laws are in place or there's something wrong with the African uh, executives or leaders. Uh, you also uh, made reference to the fact that those that are in the position of making decisions to uplift as they rise are missing the point. 
my follow-up question, Prof, is that I think we have seen a number of studies and a number of uh, case studies that has been put forward, which goes to show that we are literally messing up. We have really squandered a whole lot of opportunities. Surely it cannot be the laws. Surely it has to be us in the main. There are a lot of variables that could explain as to why uh, black growth, black wealth is not growing as it should, uh, because it is it is a economic imperative to have a black growth represented um, in the country. What would you think, based on the studies that you have had, conversation that you have seen or have had with a number of uh, people, but including those that you address at the Gulf a day, seems to be the core of shanking, so to speak? I think we all agree that um, the laws are there and uh, the laws uh, can only provide a framework uh, within which we need to, to operate. But a big part of change or in the big part of implementation is within ourselves. Uh, it is us as individuals who need to appreciate that uh, we have a responsibility and also we've got a moral obligation, not only to put ourselves first, actually, but to put those around us first. And we have a moral obligation to understand that uh, you don't stand tall by pushing others down, but you can only stand tall by being the tallest, by being tall among the tallest. So, which means we should be in a position whereby we place the success of ourselves on the basis of how far or how we've actually contributed to the success of the society. It shouldn't be about us, but it should be about uh, the society. Now, the other issue also is uh, an exercise that uh, we need to engage into of change in mentality and how we think that some of these things are good for others and not good for others. The issue is, you know, when we spend our resources, when we invest and when we buy, for example, there's this mentality that, uh, you know, some of the things or the products that are produced by maybe Africans would be of substandard compared to products that are coming from other nations, for example. That has to change. Uh, the laws could be there to say that we need to buy from local, as an example. Uh, that is the law. But it motivates us, it encourages us to buy from local or local produce, as an example. Those are the regulations and, and the laws that are there to guide us. But until we take a decision ourselves and realize the importance of doing that and the value in doing that, that um, we can actually uh, deal with unemployment, which is at uh, unemployment levels in our country is at uh, the levels that have really not seen before. And also, if you look among youth, it is worse among youth. And if you look, for example, uh, the areas that contribute to dealing with uh, unemployment would be, for example, our SMMEs, which uh, are really a great vehicle in dealing with uh, unemployment, which employ many young people, for example, the, the SMMEs. And these are areas where we can invest, and these are areas that uh, we can develop. And most of the businesses that are owned by Africans they fall into this uh, in the in this group, uh, the small micro medium enterprises, for example. So, if we do not invest in them, we are actually adding on these high levels of uh, unemployment. So, if we do not, if for example, the products that is produced there is of substandard, we have a responsibility, support, to train, to do everything that is possible to make sure that uh, actually at some stage or at a particular point, these SMMEs that we've identified, they are able actually to, to also compete at, uh, at levels or produce the product uh, that uh, we'd all behave about. So we have to change ourselves from that. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back on this very fascinating topic. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. 
We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governments. My name is Nimrod Timberde. I am joined by Professor Tengelani Zuma, who is sharing with us uh, his anecdotes on how to grow African wealth. Before we went to that break, Prof indicated to us that we have a moral obligation to uplift those that uh, live in abject poverty, basically saying to us that the success of those who are in leadership position cannot be divorced from the extent to which they support the marginalized. And what I found intriguing was way forward, uh, which which he the trust has has been underpinned by how we think. And there's this notion that, as he puts it, notion that products and services rendered in some uh, black communities is of substandard. And if that is the case, uh, they, those that are in the position of authority have not only just a political but moral obligation to correct that particular thinking by investing in training, by investing uh, uh, in, in skills, and by investing on every single front. For the majority of those who are languishing in poverty are used. He pointed to us that the way forward is uh, supporting the SMEs, which has been echoed across the board, governments, private sector, civil society organizations, everybody have joined that that song that we do we, we need to invest. And yet, Prof, when you look at investing in, in a small SMEs, government, how can there's a policy on paying small enterprises or small SMEs or say SMEs within a particular timeline? And that timeline has not, the last time I checked statistics, people are not paid in 30 days, people are not paid in 60 days, people are not paid in 90 days. In some instances, people are not paid at all when service has been rendered. How do you begin to change the poverty status in the townships? How do you begin to instill a positive mindset wherein the biggest employer or the biggest, uh, um, you know, the biggest user of uh, black products and services being government is not paying them. How do we overcome that? The sad irony on that before I come to um, to respond to your question is that um, they are not paid within 30 days and therefore their books will not be in order. Their credit scoring will uh, depreciate. And then the next time around, we'll say there are resources, there is money available to support them, but they must be in good standing. Then the question is, how are they going to be in good standing for them to apply for that funding if you have not been paying them uh, in due course? Because they can't run their, their business. So that is the problem. Now, uh, the, the, the issue is, if you look at that point, there is someone somewhere who has not taken up his moral obligation. That is making sure that um, these SMMEs are paid in time and understanding that uh, for these MMEs, for their SMMEs, for this particular invoice, small as it is, it is a bread and butter issue for them. Uh, it is how they survive. If you don't pay it, it means they're not going to be able to pay salaries. Uh, end of the month, for example, they won't be able to draw down or pay other people that they owe at, at end of the month. So what we need to have is not only for those that are in that position of power, uh, it's not only to say they must be paid in 30 days, but let's ask ourselves the question, what have we done about those people who are given the responsibility, pay their SMMEs in 30 days? What have we done as a consequence management when they don't do that? Are we recording only for the sake of recording or are we taking serious disciplinary measures when people who are given the responsibility to pay and they do not pay in time because the consequences are grave uh, for these SMMEs when they are not paid. So we need to act on those people that do not pay. It should not only be the law. The law could be there, 
But if we do not have measures of ensuring that those laws uh, are followed up, consequences, if you don't follow or if you don't do as the law prescribes, uh, that is what we need to implement. And we need to be aggressive. Uh, We need to have platforms of uh, maybe even naming and shaming those people that actually did not live up to uh, the, the, the timelines that are set up. Look, Prof, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's just shameful, to say the least. We have seen, I know personally, of businesses that have closed doors purely because they were not paid. In some instances, those that were not paid, the office of, official, of officials in those particular instances would want their hands to be greased for work they did not do. I mean, it's just absolutely shocking. And, and to your point, Prof, we have not seen enough done about those who are literally sitting on their laurels. Officials that are not, they're not exhuming that moral responsibility they'll be talking about. We have seen so many civil unrest. Perhaps maybe this could be the reason why so many people take to the streets to demonstrate their anger and frustration of those people who are marching in anger. Uh, majority of them are members of the small businesses who have not been paid. What more can be done other than seeing people on the streets? other than people demonstrating vehemently about issues around poverty. The vast majority of them, I, we don't have to come and researchers on this. Uh, it's, it's the day we see. We know them. So we, we, they, we live amongst them. What more can be done over and above just seeing what anger and frustrations that we see on the street around the role of SMMEs? We have a challenge, Dr. Mbele, until we find ways or until we implement uh, strong measures in dealing uh, with uh, those people that do not do what they're supposed to do. Uh, And of course, we we, we don't need laws to guide us in everything that we do. Also, our consciousness should tell us that it is wrong. Uh, Our moral obligation says that um, we need to, to be cognizant of the fact that we have a responsibility entrusted by the state, by the society, by our communities to do the work that we are employed to do and to do it in an ethical way, uh, in a way that uh, doesn't favor uh, others over others. So it starts from within and we need to change. Uh, we need to stand strong uh, in the way that uh, we have been together and standing strong in uh, dismantling the walls and the pillars of apartheid. Now we need to stand together in the same way, even uh, even uh, with a much uh, stronger vigor, to actually, you know, dismantle the pillars of unemployment and change and change, you know, how we do things develop communities, support uh, young uh, the SMMEs, support individuals who are trying to develop their own uh, businesses out there. We need to develop ourselves. And we need to understand that uh, the state is there, you know, to guide us. But a big development is not going to come from the state. It's going to come from us. For as long as we've got, uh, for example, a society that uh, believes that uh, whatever that is provided by the state, I must take or change or, 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 or short-circuit the state in a way, in whatever, in a criminal way, as I, I, I would say. If we have that kind of a society, the problem is not with the state. The problem is with us. If we have a society that still, uh, for example, destroys the infrastructure put by the state, the problem is not with the state. The problem is with us. So there is a lot that needs to change amongst us. And part of it is an understanding that this is the country, belongs to us. For all of us, we need to develop it together. Absolutely. And I like the expression to use. Um, you said directors and decision makers um, are like long lost golf balls that cannot be found. Uh, these balls are hidden in a forest. Uh, the forest of thorns and kale grass and potentially infested with, with pafadas, cobras and python. Very interesting um, uh, observation and analogy. Take us to that. What, you know, the infestation, the pafadas, the cobras and the pythons of, of the kind of ethos that we, we seem to have lost 
and difficult to retrieve. You can imagine if you're playing golf and your balls, um, it's in a rough, which is infested by these kinds of animals that you made mention of. Um, a very powerful way of describing where some of the leaders are. The issue is that, uh, you know, I'll use a phrase in Zulu, it says, which means uh, in the phrase that I use was actually saying that uh, the, the best of us as a society is out there in the thorns and the bushes, places that are infested by puff adders. But we have a responsibility to go out there, look for that, identify it, and nurture that talent, nature that skill, support that talent, grow that skill. That is what we need to do. It should not be about us. It should be about finding the best in ourselves, finding the best in our community, finding the best in the, in the society for the purposes of developing this country. That is the contribution that we should all live up to and say we are looking constantly and actively looking for the best in ourselves, for the best in our country to develop it because, again, there is no Messiah that will come to our communities, that will come to the rural areas, to the township, to develop those communities and townships. But it is us who live in those areas that we need to be a strong collective and develop those, uh, those communities. We need to not wait for someone out there to come and take us out of poverty. But we need to realize that uh, a mother selling uh, fruits in the streets, for example, needs our money, needs us to buy from from her. As an example, you know, sometimes I find it a bit um, interesting that uh, most of the time you find a mother selling fruits in the streets and you go there, buy your, your fruits. And one thing that you do whenever she gives you the price for, for product that she's selling, uh, you Ask for a discount, <laughs> but you when you go to big conglomerates, for example, you never ask them for a discount. I mean, you know, and and the money that uh, you know she's asking for for that product, it's not that is some that you can you can't afford. Rather than asking for a discount, if it's twenty rands, why don't you add a five rand on top and actually give it to her as an example? Interesting, interesting observation. I've also noted that, I mean, uh, you're quite correct. You walk into pick and pay, you pay what you, you either pay or you don't pay. Why yes. is it when it comes to a, a vulnerable person who had to use a transport, basking in the sun yeah. uh, to make ends meet, you want to bargain. And that kind of mentality is just, it's just messed up in my view. Yeah. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right at all. Um, anyway, let's take a break. We'll come back in a second as we gravitate towards the, uh, the end of the show. Very fascinating conversation. I'm here. I'm having here with uh, Professor Angelani Zuma. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governance at uh, 101.95 FM. My name is Nimrat Mbele. We are having a very interesting uh, conversation with Professor Kangela Nizuma, who is the Executive Director at the Human Health Research Council. Prof here is giving us his anecdote on how to grow the African wealth as it is not represented in the general society. Uh, it's common cause that South Africans, black in particular, are majority. However, when you look at ownership structure, uh, they are not represented. He pointed to us that poverty um, among the black population is uh, sits around 64%, and majority of that, you know, are, are youth, compared to 1% uh, that sits with um, the white community in the country. What I found intriguing about his observation is the fact that the majority of credible individuals that can nurture talent among black community in particular uh, are found in the bushes, you know, so to speak. And the bushes are 
riddled with or infested with all sorts of creatures. It is the responsibility of those that are in the know-how. It is the responsibilities of those that have been given positions of power to utilize those power, those positions to uplift the nature and 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 make sure that the those that are marginalized have been uplifted. Interestingly, he also noted that they you know that there's no Messiah. No one is going to come to the deep rural areas of KZN, deep rural areas of Limpopo and Eastern Cape and uplift those communities until or unless Bonafida, you know, graduates, so to speak, of those particular areas, uh, lending a helping hand, which means there has to be some kind of backward linkages by ensuring that those who are successful um, have that kind of inclination to go back and see how they could crowd funding and how could they mobilize resources um, and collectively address those kinds of issues that Prof has, 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 has talked, spoken about. All of us can agree uh, in, in ensuring that we can take black businesses forward in particular. Prof, you know, the issue of black, um, the issue of SMMEs hold enormous opportunities for everybody to be successful. And yet we are not doing it. So what would you consider as the most critical thing that South Africans, you know, uh, in business formation in particular, because we seem to losing faith in government, and I'm not sure if government is winning, but black businesses in particular, what needs to be done at that level? If you look at um, the the law, that requires that um, actually companies to get their good uh, BEE scoring, for example, uh, the broad-based black economic empowerment. Uh, we are required to invest uh, in SMEs uh, whose uh, uh, majority shareholders are Africans uh, and also as as part of our contribution to society. There are a number of uh, requirements that we need to meet uh, to be able to, to have a good uh, scoring. So we have to do that. As executives and companies, uh, we need to make sure that the next SMME that uh, we do business with, it's an SMME that does meet this requirement. If we can find an SMME that meets the requirement for the services that we need, well, it says that we have a responsibility actually to develop that SMME. I don't see any problem why any company could actually get a group of people, train them to say, this is the resource that we need. If, for example, using that a simple example, if we're a company that deals with cars and we need uh, people who are mechanics, uh, whom we can send our engines to be fixed there, and we can't find the one that we want, well, why can't we train a group of uh, young people that uh, we can train to be able to fix cars, support them to develop an, an SMME, train them how to manage, run a business, manage finances, and that is the SMME that uh, we'll be working with. So we sh- if we can't find it, we must develop it. So we cannot uh, always be applying for deviations through the National Treasury, as an example, applying for deviations to say we can't find this resource uh, in South Africa. If it's not there, we are capable of developing it. Let us develop it. And for me, that is what we need to do as executives in our respective institutions that uh, that we we manage. You know, I'm glad you raised the issue of applying for deviation because th- there isn't enough businesses, which is absolutely ludicrous because um, there has to be a concerted effort to find businesses in specific sectors. What would you say to people who apply for deviation? Um, in those particular spaces, what do you make of them? Is it because of ignorance? Is it because they looking at their balance scorecard? What could be the reason as to why continually uh, we see it, um, you know, year in, year out, where in departments take back money to the, to the state, which has been not spent when we're sitting with close to 40% unemployment rate? Surely that cannot be that, you know, we have money that has been sent back to the state when it is desperately needed. What do we make of those kinds of individuals? What needs to be done differently? Is it capacity issue on their part? I have absolutely no reason. I have absolutely no idea. But personally, you 
you know, in your space, you might have picked up uh, some of the issues worthy of untangling. They themselves could need support. I'm not sure. I think it's people within them um, who are too comfortable in their own positions and uh, people are not being held to account. If at some point those people who are running, who are managing those budgets could be held accountable for their not spending uh, the resources where they needed to spend or to have spent the resources. If we don't hold them accountable, we'll always be dealing with uh, with the same problem. Uh, and also, if they don't have capacity to spend, well, then look for capacity within and around people who are going to assist you uh, in, in managing those finances prudently. And also, again, sometimes uh, we've got this mentality that, uh, you know, we we are we are being very prudent and making sure that we don't spend money, uh, saving money for institutions and all that. Well, there are institutions where you need to save resources, but there are institutions where you need to spend resources because that money is there for you and for the institution to spend, to develop people, develop communities, and we need to spend within the, the law, obviously. But of course. Uh, when we spend that money and those resources, uh, always what you need to put first is what are we getting out of it? Uh, is the money being spent where it is supposed to be spent? Uh, when I say is supposed to be spent, that is, are we spending the money where we are going to have the greatest impact? Are we spending the money where we are going to, uh, uh, you know, positively affect the majority of people. If we are not spending money where it's going to have the great impact, then maybe we need to think about how could we spend it or where should we spend it such that we have the greatest of impact, such that we are able to provide support for the majority of people that are, uh, are living in abject poverty. And that is about the 64% of our society that lives in abject poverty. And it cannot be right that we don't spend resources to uplift people that are living in that kind of poverty. It is just not right. Now, I couldn't agree with you more, Prof. Uh, what is coming out essentially is an issue of lack of accountability and uh, which, which permeates, uh, in your view, that there has to be a way in which a, you know, a way in which the system um, talking about I'm talking about government uh, to hold executives both in public as well as in and private sector organisations accountable for not adhering to your uh, BE scorecard and not accountable um, also being held to account on their inability or failure to spend the money where it is meant to be spent. So that's what I'm picking up. There's also this issue about. A PFMA, which everybody seems to use as a scapegoat. Um, and, I, and I get it. We can't have free for all. There has to be parameters. And yet, you know, whether we, we are at the space stage where we need to reform the Public Finance Management Act, because it's obviously not, it's not, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not free from obstacles. Uh, it's not free from challenges. Surely by now we ought to have have had in, in a number of observations and empirical evidence. Uh, to what extent do you think PFMA adds to the current issues that you, that you have noted in terms of expenditure patterns? Does it that is there merit in us reviewing the, the public finance management act just over and above sharing competence of those that return money to the state? I always look at PFMA and say it provides a framework within which I need to operate. But uh, there are cases whereby, or let me put it this way and say, not all contraventions of PFMA are wrong. Some of the contraventions of of PFMA uh, are actually good. For example, uh, if the PFMA says, if there is already a purchase order that has been issued uh, to do an operation in a theater, as an example, and uh, 
the PFMA says once the, the purchase order has been issued, you cannot alter that uh, purchase order without following processes. Now, if I'm at a theater, being a medical professional as an example, operating on a person, and now I see that there is a need to buy something right now to save this life, and it's a Friday, to go to supply chain to follow the prescript of PFMA would mean that this person by Monday would be dead. But actually, I could just buy that uh, what I need to support or to save life. Well, I would have contravened PFMA. But by contravening PFMA, I would have saved life. So the question is, was that contravention a good contravention in my position, I would say it was a good contravention because the benefits in contravening that PFMA was actually the gains were much bigger than what they would have lost. And again, there are ways in which, I mean, uh, the regulations deal with that. You can explain your situation. Legally, it would have been a contravention. But the question is, was that contravention justifiable? Would any other reasonable person would have taken that decision? Obviously, a decision to save life would have been reasonable, and that's the decision that um, one would have, would have taken, because otherwise not taking a decision would have actually been worse uh, than uh, than taking the decision. So, so that is what we need to ask ourselves is, before we even, uh, you know, worry about these rules, is the decision that I'm taking, which is contravening, is it really justifiable or not? Would another reasonable person have taken that decision? If your answer is yes, I don't see that, uh, or I don't think that would actually be found to be uh, at fault in one way or, or, or another. I couldn't agree with you more, Prof. I mean, you're talking uh, the due diligence and, and you know, duty to care, uh, you know, because when you're looking at some of the limitations of uh, PFMA, you, you're saying to us, for as long as you are able to justify the benefits of your decision and your, de- your decision is likely to be shared by other independent people, um, would suggest that um, you, 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 you contravene the PFMA by law but you are able to explain yourself and any other person could reach the same conclusion that would make it easier for authorities. Um, but, but we all know that in a political, politically charged environment, and these are some of the things that people are afraid of doing because they know um, you'll be targeted. They know that if you have done certain things, if you're not in a right political spectrum, right political camp, you are likely to be fired or you're likely to be suspended. To what extent do you think that plays a role in seeing um, these kinds of issues raising their, their ugly heads? If you are afraid to take decisions, then you should not be in leadership. Because if you are in leadership, you must take decisions. And the decisions you take sometimes would be favored by others uh, and they won't be favored by others. What you always need to ask yourself is, Am I taking, a, 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 you know, the decision that you are taking, are they ethical? And are you yourself operating in an ethical manner? Because if you are, a, which is within the law, and if you are doing that, then you are not money. You would not be loved by everybody. There are those people, people whom the decision you take would not be in their favor. Obviously, they will hate you. But as long as you've got reasons and justifiable reasons and ethical principles followed in you taking that decision. You shouldn't worry. And if you are scared to take that decision, then you shouldn't be in leadership. Someone else must be in leadership because being a leader, it means you take decisions. Sometimes those decisions are very hard and painful decisions that need to be made. But if you are in a leadership position, your role, part of what you are paid for, is to take those decisions, difficult as they are. Absolutely. Prof, I'm going to take a break and we literally left with about two seconds or so. We'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. 
sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back uh, to the last uh, leg of the show. It has been absolutely fascinating. I'm joined by Professor Kangalani Zuma, who's an executive at the Human Social Access Council, sharing us uh, his views on why, uh, you know, African businesses do not grow. Uh, before we took that quick break, he made mention of the need for leaders to be ethical, the need for leaders to, to apply due diligence, and need uh, and the need for leaders not to hide behind uh, policies. And and what I found fascinating in the extent to which if you are a leader and incapable of taking decision, irrespective of how painful, you don't deserve to be there. And and that's quite remarkable, uh, which means the majority of people that are in positions who are hiding behind, um, you know, politics, uh, we need to look at their environment with with level of skepticism because they are not worthy the salt. That's what I'm picking from 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 Prof. Prof, your final word as we wrap up the show. Right, is that you know not all is lost. There is also good in our country. And I always say, you know, if there are still businesses that uh, are led and run by Africans, such as our big teams, Orlando Pirate, Kaiser Chiefs, the taxi industry, for example, being run by uh, uh, mainly Africans and doing so well, well, we've we've got capabilities and uh, we can be able to use those examples to inspire us. And there are many others that uh, we, we may not, uh, we need much longer time for actually to, to be able to identify. But there are so many other businesses that are run by Africans which are doing so well and we must learn from those businesses and we develop a lot more so that uh, fears to come, we say, wow, we have gone a long way. But in short, not all is lost. We've got capabilities we're a resilient society, and we'll be able to win this one too. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Prof, for coming through. It has been absolutely fascinating uh, hearing from you, and hopefully it won't be the last conversation we have with you. Definitely. Thanks. Thanks a lot for, for having us. Thank you very much. There you are. That was Professor Kangalani Zuma, um, who is an executive director at the Human Research Council, giving us very intriguing observations. Uh, in the final analysis, not all is lost. Uh, he made reference to, you know, successful businesses in the form of soccer teams, in the form of the taxi industry with all its issues and, and stock fell. So there's definitely a lot of pockets of good that needs to be. That needs to be harnessed for, for greater good. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. You're going to have to leave it here. It has been an absolute pleasure. I certainly think you've uh, enjoyed this uh, robust and interesting conversation. Let's do this again next week. Shalom. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making.